1: We've got Sean Siegel back on the show. That is the special edition today of Road of His Overtime. We are back with myself, Colin Kelly, with Sean Siegel. We've had Blair Andrews on this week to cover the week eight action. We had Eric Hovon last week to cover the week seven action. We've Sean Siegel here ahead of week nine. Excited to have him back on the show. Myself and Sean talking quite a bit before we started recording today, catching up. But it is great to get back to talk about all things NFL fantasy football because Sean, there's been a lot of exciting things that have happened over those last couple of weeks with players that we have talked about a lot, and there has been a number of these weeks where I'm thinking, oh, I wish I was able to recap this week with with Sean, including last week. I I did mention it quite a bit on our recap, but trey mcbride having a big week was nice and we're in a situation sean entering week nine here where we have a lot of detroit lions players rostered and one of those guys that we have rostered pretty much everywhere is sam laporta so we're sam laporta less this week and uh our main event team we are slotting in trey mcbride who was on our bench last week who we, we would have been nice but you, you know you can't trust it but this week we are we're looking for him to, to get into those double digit points but hopefully to get into those 20s or above but last week was was Tremendous. We are going to talk some zero RB universe on today's show. We're going to talk about maybe how to handle some of the, the bye week as well this week with people having the likes of a Travis Etienne maybe on their bye, the likes of the Denver Broncos with Javante Williams and, and so on. We have a couple of leagues Sean where we are rostering both of those guys and we're like we're looking for that second uh, running back spot here as we enter this week. And then with the quarterbacks, there's just so many players either on bye, injured. Are now at this particular point benched maybe not benched in the atlanta situation we're still trying to figure out read between the lines there think that is a benching sean would you agree that is a benching um but we'll, we'll see what happens moving forward here uh how are you feeling though to be back on the podcast excited to to look ahead to this week's action some big picture thoughts
2: yeah it's it's awesome to be back i want to extend a, a big thank you to blair and eric both doing a fantastic job and i hope to have them you know on some more in the future as well but column i mean this is the the perfect moment to be recording some overtime because our main event team is in first place our dynasty team is in first place i was showing you that a bunch of our sort of random underdog teams this that and the other weird contest that i don't necessarily remember participating in but definitely enjoyed at the time those teams are in first place and so you just want to celebrate right you want to be happy heading into week nine is not the point in the season that you are targeting that's not the point you're you know pointing your season toward being in first place after week nine doesn't get the job done
1: can you not take victory laps at week nine i thought people took victory laps at week one and week two this year
2: well i mean anytime that things are going well you want to enjoy it you want to celebrate it uh, be grateful for it because you just don't know, right? And maybe these teams won't hold on. And so you want to be happy in those good moments. That's yeah. what life is about. And so, yeah, I'm happy. We're, we're currently in first. And the teams do look good, right? There's Again, there's no guarantee. We've got a lot of players on the bye this week. Yep, you can go out there and have a very low score when you have half of your lineup out. But I do like the depth. I like a lot of the players who are going to be filling in. In some of the leagues, the running back two spot is not particularly strong this week and one of the things you're looking at there is what can the other players on your team do because it can be easy to get focused in on okay well my overall range of outcomes is going to be shifted down without as many good players in the lineup if you had teams where both of your starting running backs were very good then there's a chance that you know they could each go for over 25 points in the given week that helps you at the same time so much of what you see when you get these 200 point weeks are that you got those because of huge eruptions of certain guys you think back to being in the first place the teams that i have in first place almost all had Trey McBride on the bench last week many of them had sam howell on the bench last week and so you don't get points that you you know might be able to use later in the season but it also reinforces that you know you could get that big score i always kind of go back to like the the very highest score that i ever got in a high stakes league i think was something like 239 and that was a tavares jackson team and you're not thinking when you have to start him that you're going to score almost 240 points if you remove his score if you'd had to play without a qb it would have scored like 222 and so one of the reasons why we're putting these teams together to be talent based and not workload based is that when the talent hits in a way that really matters, then you have the chance for these big scores. Because it's not a matter of, okay, how can we cobble together enough 12-point games in order to get to the final total. Yeah, you're going to have some games in there like that. You're going to have some games lower than that. You're going to have some guys who go out and put up, you know, one or two and those scores don't help in that week, obviously but you need to have those really big performances to pull you across the line. So as we look at week nine, as we try and figure out how we're going to get it done, the thing that we need, the thing we will be rooting for on Sunday morning is that you get the big games column. I think that's, you know, what week nine is going to revolve around. And it kind of brings me to the first sort of big note that I wanted to make here. It's It's always so fun to put together these Zero RB Universe articles. And for anybody who listens and isn't necessarily a subscriber, you certainly don't have to be. We'd love to have anybody here listening to this show. But one of the things I'm looking to do with these RB universe pieces in 2023 is to have it be a sort of a multifaceted article, right? Where there's a portion of it that's looking back and that is saying, this is what the workload and usage was like. There's a part that's looking forward, kind of projecting what that means for the future. You know, at that position on the team, but also then using some of our tools like the matchup tab on the weekly explorer using some of the tools like the fantasy strength of schedule streamer. Obviously Blair is doing an article late in the week that is you know just amazing where he takes a lot of the information from the advanced team stat explorer to help you understand these matchups. So there's a matchup element looking for the future week. So it's forward looking. And then we're also talking about how can we make some trades and how do we need to address uh, either kind of deep waivers or look-ahead waivers to try and figure out how to build the rosters out. So all of those different components to the article and trying to tailor it to the individual depth chart, you know, what's relevant for that team in any given week. But you also run across these elements occasionally that are bigger picture, that are more global in nature. It's always fun when guys are hitting in a way that, is unusual and even for stars is unusual and you can pull up the road of his screener and see how that fits in and when we talk about how do you get these difference making performances one of the things you're looking for is for your first round pick to have hit call him, have a variety of teams with christian mccaffrey this year and what he's doing again is really impressive now he's averaging about 25 and a half points per game anytime you're over 25 obviously you're really coming through with 101 type of production. But not all of that is workload-based, right? He is averaging 3.5 rushing fantasy points over expectation and 3.5 receiving fantasy points over expectation, which means he's giving you more than a touchdown's worth of value every week, just in efficiency. That's value that's up and above the workload or the fantasy points that will be implied by the workload so we look at that and you're like i mean that's pretty crazy but obviously you know he won't be able to do that for the full season you know what are the historical examples of this the only player i could find who was above three so he's at 3.5 right the only player who's above three in both categories this century was charlie garner who was actually at 4.4 and 4.5 over the first eight weeks. That was seven games in his case. The second half of the season, he ends up averaging 19.6 fantasy points per game. A good season, not you know in that 24, 25 range that McCaffrey is in. However, if you lower the threshold just a little bit and you look at the total fantasy points over expectation, Priest Holmes in 2002, And Marshall Falk in 2000 were both averaging even more. Number one, they were averaging more points per game. They were both above 30. But they were averaging even more total FPOE. Again, this is the season's first half. You go to the second half of the season, and these guys increased. They didn't decline. They increased the fantasy points over expectation per game. Priest Holmes, in the six games from week nine to week 17, so obviously he misses a little bit there with injury, but in the six games, he averaged 28.7 points per game. But of that, 10.6 were fantasy points over expectation. That's how dynamic he was in that Dick Vermeil Kansas City Chiefs offense. Marshall Falk averaged almost nine fantasy points over expectation and averaged 33.7 points per game that again at the very height of the greatest show on turf so in both of those situations you have that offense that dick Vermeil, mike martz offense very strongly connected there the nfl has changed a lot in the 20 years in between we know that those two guys and then with Ladanian tomlinson you had huge running back scores that are unique to that historical moment and you don't get any more in 2023 and yet when we're looking at christian mccaffrey and being at 25 and a half points per game and you're thinking about what he could do in the future he's so unique himself as a talent and then to be in this offense where you have kyle shanahan calling the plays but you also have those other guys in the mix there with debo samuel who has been injured a little bit but brandon Ayuk and george kittle You have those three additional weapons and you can't key on Christian McCaffrey. I'm not saying he's going to average seven fantasy points over expectation per game the rest of the way, but I am saying that this combination of a good environment and an elite talent means that you can put together these types of seasons that are so unusual and that, I mean, no one's going to trade Christian McCaffrey. No one... You know, you're not going to be able to pick him up if you don't have him. It's not like there are moves to be made here. But when we think about where teams are, where we think about what Christian McCaffrey and the 49ers will be after the bye, there's a lot of room for enthusiasm that he's going to continue to be this fantasy MVP that we saw several years ago before all the injuries with the Carolina Panthers and then we're getting this year with the San Francisco 49ers.
1: Sean, over the last couple of weeks since we would have talked, there's quite a few running backs and their kind of, I guess, committees at this particular point that have been either forced or they had been that way, or players coming back from injury. In the case of say Jonathan Taylor, with Zach Moss there, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers, Jalen Warren, Najee Harris. There's a there's a lot of rooms around the NFL at the moment where there's competition one way or the other. We've seen Chuba Hubbard get a bigger workload last week over Miles Sanders we'll see how that continues and the other one then uh, feels like injury related was the Seattle Seahawks with Charbonnet and Kenneth Walker looking around it doesn't have to be specifically those but is there any of those backfields that when you were looking into them this week you thought that the information you've seen might be slightly different to what people may be taking away from those recent week performances
2: well some of the most controversial backfields here you mentioned the Seahawks and I love Kenneth Walker He had a huge run in this game that you don't get unless you have his level of talent. But I did recommend trading him. If you're in one of these redraft leagues where a lot of trading goes on and you really are trying to move your roster around to point toward the playoffs themselves, I think that there are reasons to be concerned about where he is now because one of the things is zach charbonnet not the same level of explosiveness and yet it's a good fit for him in this offense anytime you're a downhill runner who also is a flexible receiver we go back to the reason that charbonnet was on the zero rb running back list in the first place and kind of the joke being that it was very very grudgingly because kenneth walker was such a big target for us overall but yet i think you know we're Seeing right now a little bit of a transition, the type of transition a lot of people felt was going to happen with the Jaguars, but but not right. And one of the things is that unlike Charbonnet, Tank Bigsby not playing well, he gets a little bit of a chance there in week eight when Travis Etienne gets dinged up and immediately fumbles. And so again, you get a, a much wider moat for Etienne. You love to see that he's having a fantastic season. You, you hate to see it happen because of an injury, but anytime that a back isn't a hundred percent, the NFL teams have to be so careful with them and then that does open up some other possibilities. We're seeing you know vaguely similar things at a lower level with the Miami Dolphins where Raheem mostert isn't quite one hundred percent and you end up having this committee with Jeff Wilson and Salvin Ahmed. Obviously, if you've been waiting for Wilson to get out there and you know, make his presence felt after how well the Miami Dolphins rushing attack has scored to this point and with H.M. probably coming back fairly soon as well. So you have the Dolphins in Kansas City against, well, not in Kansas City, in Germany, against Kansas City, then you have the bye, then you get H.M. back. The Ahmed role here, where it's a three-way committee instead of just the two-man team, that part, I think, becomes pretty tough we had a similar dynamic with the cleveland browns where jerome ford has played extremely well but isn't quite healthy kareem hunt i mean he's one of the only guys here but we've kind of been joking throughout the season you know mostly in frustration that i mean Ramondre stevenson has been awful and that has been disappointing but ezekiel elliott's peripherals are still so bad that even with as bad as Ramondre stevenson is or has been how disappointing he has been I mean, the Patriots need to lean into that and get him a chance to get really get going as opposed to throwing away these touches. You just you only have so many plays in an NFL game. For Elliott to siphon some of those feels like a real loss for them as they try to jump start their team. Because what's the only way that the New England Patriots get back and start to make a push? Well, it's gonna rely on Ramondre Stevenson jumping back to start him because they have no other talent, right? There aren't other players on that team where you could say, Oh if they had two or three huge games and started to look more like themselves that that would even be a good thing right there's there's no world in which Devonte parker makes any difference that juju smith schuster makes any difference it's got to be ramondre stevenson or bust but the thing there that we've kind of joked about throughout the season before that little mini digression is that ezekiel elliott sort of the last guy to log a broken or forced missed tackle at least by the Sports Info Solutions charter, so you're going to have some, you know, slightly different characterizations depending on, you know, what source you're using. We get this wealth of amazing information from SIS. So anybody who is interested in that, make sure you check out the Advanced Stat Explorer. Make sure you check out the Advanced Team Stat Explorer. So much cool stuff there. But you look at this Cleveland Browns team. Kareem Hunt now is the last guy, right? Gus Edwards finally got. <laughs> in the scorebook ezekiel elliott finally got in the scorebook kareem hunt is not yet but he's getting the most important touches here in this cleveland browns offense if you are like us and you have some jerome ford losing those touches to kareem hunt is disappointing and then definitely if you are in the desperation situation and again are like us where you're a huge pierre strong fan to have hunt take those touches is disappointing you have a, another game here where Pierre Strong actually looked really good as the third man. He has a 40-yard catch. He generates a lot of value on his handful of rushing touches. You'd love to see in the situation where the top two guys aren't completely healthy, them lean into Pierre Strong. Maybe column The Browns are going to go back in, and they're going to look at the tape, and they're going to say, you know what? Maybe we win this game if we give Pierre Strong a little bit more. Again, the bye weeks are here. In a huge way in week nine, where at least for the Rotoviz OT community, this is the week that everybody is out. Pierre Strong is going to be playing on some teams for me. You don't want that to be the case, right? You're not projecting Pierre Strong for many touches. And anytime you don't get many touches, you're looking at a potential zero. But Colin, he looked very good. This is an interesting backfield. Obviously, Nick Chubb was the guy. He's not going to be there. Did you have a chance to watch this game? Are you, I mean, what are your thoughts on the Cleveland Browns and and Pierre Strong? I mean, it's a pipe dream, right? We're not going to suddenly get 10 plus touches for Pierre Strong in week nine.
1: I don't think so. I think it's a case that he's going to be added in for a limited amount of plays here at the moment. And at the moment, it's a case that the plays are that limited. I don't see that he's going to make a big enough impact to stretched that roll out over the next couple of weeks i think it's going to kind of stay in the the formation that it's in at the moment you mentioned the cleveland browns and what my feelings are my feelings are the less you can watch of the cleveland browns usually the more enjoyable but i did get to to catch this game and i think that they're going to be a tree-headed committee moving forward and i think pierre strong unfortunately sean over the next like looking a month ahead i think he's going to be the third option, as much as we want him to get factored in, barring injury. But those limited touches that he ha- is having, he's, he's looking pretty good. But there's a potential, Sean, that that's also our biased eye factoring in there when we're looking at them. Just to give a few notes that Sean has mentioned in here that I really enjoyed since I recorded with Blair earlier this week. Leonard Fournette did sign with the Buffalo Bills. Sean mentions in it that the former Jag and Buck does everything, but he does everything poorly. So that is, uh, I think, a true statement. And Sean trying to, I think, be as kind as possible there.
2: Well, my take on it is almost a little bit the other way around, where it works in this other direction, right? Where Leonard Fournette does everything poorly, but he does everything. Yeah. And that's appealing to teams, right? If you can do everything, they don't have to take you off the field. They're not necessarily telegraphing the play call so it's better to
1: do everything poorly than to do some things good
2: it it really depends (laughs) the unfortunate part is that you get the impression from nfl teams this is a little bit the thing with ezekiel elliott right it's like why did they move pierre strong who is a dynamic player for ezekiel elliott who's washed up well because they wanted to have a guy who stylistically was similar to ramondre stevenson so that you could move those guys in and out interchangeably and not telegraph the plays you you do get the impression that a lot of the weirdness that's occurred with the new england patriots offense over the last two years and even some of the rhetoric coming out of new england was about things that bill belichick wanted to do differently because he and josh mcdaniels hadn't seen eye to eye on them now with the embarrassing end to the mcdaniels era in las vegas you can understand even a little bit more perhaps you know why that was the case The thing that we're seeing here with both of these coaches, and I think that in some ways it's too bad. I've never been a Patriots fan. I've never been a Belichick fan. I think that the borderline cheating, it really probably is borderline. There's just so much we still don't really know about all of the stuff that happened kind of in that 20-year window and whether it really was cheating or was just sour grapes from other teams. But I love the fact that with Bill Belichick, you seem to have someone who was focusing on The big picture but then also all of the details and was so concerned about taking every possible edge and stacking all of these edges and then i think that even if you don't like a certain team coach player it's just so important in life to give credit to people for the accomplishments that they've had if you aren't the kind of person who gives credit to other people when they succeed, then you're creating this very weird dynamic and environment for yourself as you try to work to be successful because you're not you know, really thinking through things in either a logical or an ethical way, again, in terms of understanding what it takes and giving credit for accomplishment. So you look at that with Bill Belichick, certainly those Patriot teams were a true dynasty over this two decade period. And yet, now it just looks so clear like it was Tom Brady, both for him, for his offensive quarters, for all of these different people. I mean, in some ways, I think that's unfortunate, right? Because, it, I mean, Tom Brady is something of a villain character as well. But we now get back to this, and we're thinking about the New England Patriots, and you got the impression that even though it was wildly successful, the Bill Belichick didn't love having all of these niche running back roles to where the opposing team was getting some type of signal on the play call by the running back personnel you talked about, or they talked about so much kind of last off season. They wanted to run this Shanahan type of offense and a much more simple offense than what McDaniels ran because they felt like a lot of their wide receiver misses in personnel were based on an offense that was too complicated. Well, all of those things appear to have not really been the case and they continue to do all kinds of things where it's like it's not the offense when you're making personnel decisions to let Jacoby Myers walk while you're signing Juju Smith-Schuster, right? These are just big and obvious mistakes and yet those types of things are kind of interesting and it is a weird and unfortunate dynamic when the Patriots continue to apparently chase mistakes, mistake after mistake after mistake and this decision at the running back position is yet another one and yet it does underline this idea that there's some value to be had in being able to do a variety of things even if you don't do them well it's one of the reasons i think that kareem hunt is appealing and it's certainly the reason that a leonard fournette would be appealing it does worry me as a james cook fan one of the things that i note in this particular piece is that over the first three weeks Cook averaged 4.3 targets per game over the most recent five just 1.6 right so that first group especially if you're getting some good rush numbers you can be a low-end RB1 that second group I mean you're looking at James Cook now as being not even startable right now again this week you would be starting in because you have all the bye week concerns, but if you have your full roster, James cook is not really somebody that you want to have in there. When you think about him being like a round five, six turn player, that's not ideal for him to be a healthy guy. You don't really want in the game anymore. And I think it's unfortunate because he's flashed so much talent. And yet the bills, as they've gone through this weird season where they did things like, I mean, you watch the Patriots play again in week eight and I mean, how did they possibly defeat the Buffalo Bills in Week 7? But the Bills have basically had this game that Kansas City had against Denver. They've had it three different times already this year, and that starts to undermine your confidence in what you're doing. They wanted to be this two-tight end offense where they would have a lot of flexibility because the tight ends are also receivers, but then you can go heavier, and you can run on teams a little bit more with intention as opposed to being a one-off they realize that it's not necessarily working and in part you get away with it get away from it because of some injuries And you're like oh i mean having you know the additional receiver out there helps but then what do we want to do with james cook this is still a team that despite having josh allen they don't really have an offensive identity and call it, you talked a lot about the QB injuries. Obviously, if you have injuries, if you're losing a Kirk Cousins, that is devastating. That's going to be a much bigger problem than simply you know being one of these power teams that maybe isn't where they want to be. But it's mind-boggling to be at this point of the 2023 season and to have the Bills not really have an identity, to have the Chiefs not really have an identity. They've come out of it in a little bit more positive way in the last several weeks, but I think you can still make the claim that the Cincinnati Bengals have not really established identity. And you think about the challenge that 2023 offers, and thankfully we've gotten a really fun season. Ben and I, on the Stealing of Bananas episode that just released, that was sort of our first show in a couple of weeks, kind of went through some of these global trends and how they fit into our talent-based fantasy drafting approach and how powerful the teams are looking right now and how cool that is. So this has been a great year and I love those elements. And yet you can have that be the case and have us also be in this weird environment where, I mean, just imagine how difficult it is for the Atlanta Falcons as they're trying to work through their quarterback issues. You imagine what the situation is like for the rookie qbs you think about the jekyll and hyde season that we've gotten from sam howell and you put that in the context of the very best teams with the very best quarterbacks are having these problems establishing an identity for themselves it's that much more difficult for the teams that don't have that much talent and you know you can look at that as being a negative of the 2023 season, but really it's just more of a a fascinating puzzle piece where there's a lot to still happen in this tug-of-war between defenses that are evolving to take away the big play and to force offenses to execute a lot of positive plays. Teams like the Bills and the Chiefs are still trying to figure out how to do that. How do you execute enough plays and how do you develop some of your pieces? I mean, frankly the chiefs have missed on a lot of their picks and when they're coming off of these six afc championship games when they're coming off of you know three super bowl appearances two super bowl victories you're like i mean again those these are huge first world problems if you're the kansas city chiefs and maybe you need a little bit more talent on offense but the fact of the matter remains that you can only miss so many picks and have it not be an issue the chiefs have missed 2023 requires a lot of talent to put together one of these offenses like the Miami Dolphins have put together. I think that them a lot of credit. And because of the way so many fantasy leagues are now structured, the season feels like it's really deep into the year. The actual NFL reality season is less than half over. There's going to be a lot to still happen as these teams try and solve these problems that they have out ahead of them yeah
1: that's very very true like when we're looking at and this even from league to league so if we're looking at let's say the ffpc main event versus the best ball leagues versus your own home leagues and the structure of where the playoffs start where the playoffs end then you actually have to factor in that the nfl season continues on beyond that so there's a lot of fun we're looking at the fantasy season like you mentioned there So much is going to change both in that, but and you know, that's gonna be driven by what changes in the the NFL. Two running backs, Sean. I just want to get final thoughts on because they're they're two of our favorites. But Brees Hall obviously had a long catch and run for a touchdown this past week, which kind of saved his day a little bit from a fantasy perspective, but also showed the upside that he has as an elite talent. What are your thoughts on Hall now rest of the season moving forward here with the Jets, and who knows what the the rate of recovery it looks like. Aaron Rodgers has maybe he'll he'll be back in here before we know it. But you know, with Zach Wilson in there, how are how are you feeling about you know we have we have a lot of shares of, of Brees Hall. What's your optimistic, I guess, confidence level in him moving forward here?
2: Well, one of the things that I've tried to really emphasize to myself in 2023 is that you just have to be ready for the teams to do things that don't make sense. You can't get out there and assume rational decision-making and assume they're going to do the right thing, and then when they don't, be devastated because they're just not going to. And so you don't want to set yourself up for all that heartache. When the Arizona Cardinals come out for the season and their biggest playmaker is Trey McBride, but he is buried behind like a 1,000-year-old Zach Ertz, don't be surprised by that. It's just par for the course. It's just what's going to happen at different junctures right so took a lot of uh took a lot
1: of uh i don't i was going to say the point you were making is to try and have emotional maturity and to handle things like the teams might not handle it rationally but you try and handle it rationally as the season goes on but surely you know, there's some of these decisions it's hard to handle rationally here when we're the Trey mcbride one now looks to be just you know baffling idiotic maybe would be another word i would use for I- it but
2: we we did manage to work in a little bit a little bit of a criticism of the Cardinals, in that sort of big picture take there, but no I, you look at what the Minnesota Vikings did after the injury to Kirk Cousins to get Joshua Dobbs, and you're like the injury to Aaron Rodgers occurred months ago.
1: It occurred on the first play of the season for the New York Jets, Sean. So it occurred eight weeks ago, you know two months ago.
2: And then on top of that. We now have had this window closed that could actually, I mean, we're now.
1: They make get the a free agent quarterback, maybe. No.
2: Yeah. I mean, if they're going to be a, a lot of NFL teams out there cutting their very legitimate backups, <laughs> then maybe they get somebody. Oh, my word. It's, I mean, it's, it's frustrating, right? Because every time that you get one of these games from Brees Hall where he completely transcends the environment and you're like, yeah, that's why I drafted him. That's why, you know, he could be the 101 next year, even though, I mean, obviously the 101 is going to be Jefferson or McCaffrey or Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill. It's going to be one of those guys because he's that good and he'll be able to do it every week. And, you know, the next week he has a 70-yard touchdown run. You're like, yeah, he's that good. The problem is just even if you're that good, those plays can't happen every week. And when your offense is this bad, you're set up to have like a six or seven-point game in the other weeks so the overall scoring level is going to be frustrating you just you hope that he continues to to do so much of what we've seen you hope that the weather is going to be one of the things is just the new york jets are not the kind of team that can afford to be playing in a storm like every second or third week now i know that with the time of the year that it is and where they're located you know again you're probably going to put up with some of that stuff too but one of the things that we start to see going forward here as we get into November is that you just desperately want good luck for your teams that are in that kind of northeast area that you know every week you have that weather risk. Maybe they can go on a good run of weather. So you look at that, Brees Hall, 105 fewer routes than B. Sean Robinson, and yet the same yardage numbers there. He's at 24 Yards per route, and the way the SIS puts it together, that's better than most receivers. His receiving evasion rate of 47%, you know, again, trumps Bijan there at 27%. And this isn't in any way, shape, or form to be like, oh, Bijan Robinson is just another guy. Bijan Robinson isn't as good as Brees Hall. I mean, Bijan might still be better. But as we're looking at players who have that size athleticism combination, it's really extraordinary that Hall could be that much better. It also underlines what Robinson can potentially do now that you have Taylor Heineke involved. I mean, I made the case that I Amisha mean, Robinson's scoring level right now is actually not particularly good. Certainly, if you drafted him, you know, 106, 107, 108, it hasn't done what you needed. I still think that even with that being the case, you probably can't trade for him. And yet, if you have some guys like a kenneth walker i mean even though walker has outscored him you're going to have to give more than just walker to get Bijan. but i think that you might want to go out there and do that i think that robinson is also again just one of these players who's so unique that if people are saying okay well arthur smith and the quarterback situation is just so bad and obviously one of the reasons that Bijan doesn't have a great overall score is he had that week where he himself was sick and you know people end up having to take you know almost a zero there that part was very unfortunate I think you want to go out and get him i think that you want to continue to figure out ways to target the true stars i mentioned trying to move alvin Kamara for austin eckler obviously camara has scored a lot more points his route number is extremely high his target number is extremely high he's been scoring touchdowns camara's peripherals are not good and austin eckler has this amazing future schedule And that's a very specific type of trade recommendation. Most people aren't going to be maybe in that specific of a moment or situation to where they can really get that done. But you can look at the article and figure out some possible exploitable opportunities. Certainly you can go in there and play with the fantasy strength of schedule streamer. You can look at Blair's article. You can look at the advanced team stat explorer and kind of see where there might be some edges that you can use in your particular league and one of the things that i would say is that you know if you're heading toward the playoffs don't be so risk risk averse that you don't make a move that might make you better just because it might make you worse i mean really we're at the exact same point that you're in when the season starts which is that every pick that you make there are other choices and those other choices might work out better and if you're going to be involved in the whole activity in the first place you've got to have the confidence and you've got to have the willingness to make mistakes, which means making a pick where a different pick might be better. You can make a trade, you know, once you've selected that addition, that initial team, sometimes you look at it and like anything that I do here has to be a win. I can't afford to ruin this nice team that I put together. But if you have, a league where trades do happen and other managers you're interacting with where you can make some moves. If you don't make a move, not making it can be just the same as making it in terms of the risk. If you don't make the move that would have allowed you to win, you can look at that at the end of the year and say, you know, if only I'd had the guts. So my recommendation would be to enjoy the tools, to enjoy the game. Certainly, you know, enjoy making moves and don't be scared to do something that, you know, might backfire. You don't know what the future is going to bring. All you can do is take the information you have now and make the best decisions. Colin, I think this is a really fun year to do some of those things. You were mentioning some research that Hayden had put out there talking about these are the running back hits within, or, you know, really just the draft in general, but certainly looking at the dead zone, we've had Jake Boyce do really cool work on best ball every single week. Anybody who is focused a lot on that and trying to understand how, The shape of scoring influences advance rates, influences how teams move through the season and get you where you want to be in something like Best Ball Mania. Make sure you check out his articles. One of the things he's talked about a lot is the running back dead zone is still there. As we discussed this season and said, okay, look, we're going to make some risky picks in this range, it wasn't saying, you know, the running back dead zone doesn't exist from the perspective of there aren't going to still be more landmines than hits. One of the things that you were mentioning to me before the show is that so many of the guys who were actually hitting out of these ranges are the people we were recommending. Obviously, not going to be perfect on that. Ramondre Stevenson has been, you know, massively disappointing, and you know people do uh, note that to me with some frustration. But the right profile at these prices has been so cool for 2023. We want to take the structural approach that we know has been winning for over a decade and yet also take the individual player profiles and say, this is how we put together power teams in 2023. This is how you put together a potential championship team. There's a long way to go, but the things that we're watching, especially over this last month... and The hard part with the NFL is because you only play a game once a week as opposed to, say, an NBA game or MLB game. It does imbue those games that do happen on those Sundays with so much importance and visibility that when there are guys you really wanted to do well and they don't, it is a dagger, and then you've got to spend all week with that, and it can undermine your faith in either the player or the process but also because it's a short week in terms of you only get so many weeks, and then you're at the playoffs. And if your guys didn't hit soon enough, it doesn't matter that maybe your overall thesis was okay. But I've loved 2023 because it's reminded us that what happens in the first month isn't the only thing that's going to happen. And if you were to, to stop the season at that point, you know we'd be looking at guys like Jameer Gibbs, who I mean, column. We were extremely high on him. He flashed in week one, but didn't get exactly the scoring because he fell down when he was going to actually score a touchdown. Then you have David Montgomery putting up these monster numbers. You get some mild injuries for Gibbs. You have Devin Achan doing the things that we had talked about with Gibbs. And it's easy to be like, oh, this is a miss. Gibbs is actually just a guy. Achan is the player that everybody should have been on. You watch that game on Monday night against the Raiders. And granted, it's the Raiders, they're hours away from having like their entire team fired. You know, it's an easier environment than some. But Gibbs looks like Pete Jamal Charles. And if you don't, like, wait for some of that to play out, then, I mean, you can be like, oh, I mean, Gibbs is just a guy. Gibbs is not just a guy. Jameer Gibbs is astonishingly, I don't know, good. He's exciting. He's fast. And we haven't even really seen the receiving stuff yet, even though he catches five passes in that game. I I don't know, right? I mean, David Montgomery is there. It it is a problem when they're both healthy. But Gibbs, incredibly exciting. Obviously, we've discussed a lot with Trey McBride. I mean, for a while there, it looked like Mayer was going to be a bust. Then you get the huge game. Now you get this kind of retraction. Now you have a new QB. You're going to have a new coaching staff. We don't know where that's going to go. You mentioned the McBride is going to be in there for us this week where Laporta is out. That would be a lot more exciting if they weren't making a QB change and weren't going to get a mid-round rookie out there playing. And yet, I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe Clayton Toom will play well. And regardless of how well he plays, it's hard to see that offense functioning at all if McBride doesn't get 10 to 12 targets. And so the volume at least should be there. I don't know. I don't know if you can tell, Colin, but I'm pretty fired up to be back. I'm pretty Excited to record with you. I'm excited for how the season is going. I mean, it's it's Thursday afternoon here as record. Fired up for tonight. Can't wait for week nine.
1: Yeah, I'm excited for week nine. And but I kind of joked about it earlier, but people taking victory laps at an early point of the season, and that kind of shows up again. That either players that you think you're so right on at a certain point after two or three weeks, or that you're so wrong on. These things do take time to play out. And you, you mentioned that particularly there with a number of the most recent guys somebody like even a gibbs you know moving forward we'll see what happens but there's so many of these scenarios that change if you look at the nfl as like four week periods that you know what you know after four weeks is different to eight weeks is different to 12 weeks and it's continuing to evolve but yeah very excited for for week nine here as we move forward the piece that are the the information you mentioned that we were talking about before with hayden winks a, a tweet that he did looking at some of the running backs and really the only running backs from kind of the start of the third round true pick kind of 100 that have hit so far this season in terms of they're currently ranked above their adp are travis Etienne is 33 spots ahead breece hall is 20 spots ahead kenneth walker's 30 spots ahead james cook's 15 spots ahead but as we mentioned today that could be under some threat with david montgomery 51 spots ahead kamara 64 and then when we start to get down into this deandre swift 63 pacheco 51 and brian robinson 55 and either of those there's names in there that we weren't actively targeting but the names and the dead zone or the traditional dead zone that we would have been talking about the likes of an etn the likes of um you know moving down through that list today andre swift some of the guys would have been in sean zero RB list kenneth walker as well in there there is those profiles and that's what we were ta- always talking about the profile sean mentioned a number of times on today's show the talent level of these players that you're trying to target and those are the guys that are, are clicking, are hitting. And sometimes those guys are take a little bit of time to work in, whether it's injury related with the likes of a Brees Hall trying to get back to 100%. The other player, Sean, I wanted to talk about, we're going to leave it today. We'll talk about it because there is a bye week. We can talk about it ahead of NFL week 10 as Javante Williams as he kind of continues his way back from injury. But lots of stuff like that has me excited as the season continues to move forward here. Sean mentioned Thursday Night Football this will be coming out after Thursday Night Football, but Sean, we are firing Will Levis up in uh, our main event team, so we'll see how that goes. Listeners can see if we're in a good mood or a bad mood come Friday based on that information, but we have a Jared Goff team with Matthew Stafford. Stafford maybe not going to be in action this week, so going with the rookie. We'll see what happens there, but again, excited to see these rookies stepping forward. Maybe a JSN, maybe we get Marvin Mims getting more worked in, but excited for the rest of the season, Sean. So we are ready to go the last thing i want to mention on today's show is we talked today about some of the teams and how they're going sean i continue to get people reaching out to say mid-season review you know review these teams tell us how you're going and they're talking about their teams as well and how good their season's going so maybe we should uh, maybe next week we'll try and squeeze it into the end of the week show as to talk about some of these teams if they win again this week and they're in good shape, we want to talk with them. But they are in good shape at the moment. But yeah, a review of how things are that because we're kind of past the halfway point. Down at that stage, but that is going to do it for today's edition of Road to Overtime. Excuse my long soliloquy here at the end of the show. But uh, good luck to everyone in NFL Week Nine. Hopefully, you get that win. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Over Tomorrow. my co-host is Sean Siegel. Check out all of Sean's work up on rotaviz.com And until we are back. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on RotoViz Radio. Please rate and review the RotoViz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcast app. You can contact us via email at radio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Road of radio And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to RotoViz with a discount through the Road of Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast.